welcome to the Sensual Artistry Podcast, exploring erotic awakenings and liberated love. I'm your host, Luna Agnea, essential arts and intimacy facilitator, relationship coach, tantrika, and artist with a passion for the path of liberation through love. In this podcast, you will receive firsthand stories of sacred erotic awakenings, transformational experiences, and love that goes beyond limits. This podcast is here to inspire, educate, and awaken your own sensual artist, because when you liberate your eros, you liberate your life. So this week, I am joined by Aiko, the incredibly caring organism, is a wonderful love mystic and uses they, them pronouns. They're the founder of the Enlightened Consent Foundation, which is causing a global paradigm shift in how human... Uh, in how humanity relates to sexuality and sexual expression. Their nonprofit provides kinky, polyamorous, and LGBTQI plus identified people with transformative experiences and supportive resources so they get to experience being completely seen, honored, and loved. They're co-creating a world where everyone feels that they belong. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Aiko. All right. So yeah. Welcome, Eco. Lovely to have you on the show. Um, yeah, do you want to just briefly introduce a little bit more about yourself? I just went over your bio, but is there anything else you feel like adding and sharing about who you are or how you're feeling right now? So uh, thank you so much for having me on your podcast, Luna. I really appreciate this. And let's see, what to go and actually say about myself. I kind of identifying walking across all the lines. Uh, I identify in part as being uh, queer, gender fluid. I'm a kinky switch. Uh, I'm polyamorous, pansexual, and uh, demisexual. uh, And uh, just, yeah, I go over uh, all the lines. Um, What I'm really about is authentic sexual expression. That mm. I work with those who see themselves as sexually broken or unlovable or undesirable and help them get to a place where they are um, feeling seen, heard, um, loved and accepted for who they are through my embracing their authentic sexuality. Yeah, beautiful. And I love that, like the the kind of labels that you were using there are all labels that are like the the most like labelless labels I find that I kind of also <laughs> vibe towards. It's like, okay, what's something that uh, is a bit more expressive? And if I need to put a label on myself, something that allows for a bit more full spectrum, authentic expression, is that how um, you feel about those kind of labels or identities or what's your relationship with that? Oh, yeah. Labels are useful on one hand and can be constricting on another. Uh, like even and some of the labels are just like an invitation to say, well, what does that actually mean to you? What what does that actually look like uh, for me? Like being queer is a general kind of overall umbrella term being like, all right, so you identify as queer. What does that actually mean to you? Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, for me, uh, identifying as non-binary and gender fluid, I swips up back and forth between I'm masculine presenting sometimes, feminine presenting other times, 
Sometimes I'm more in the middle and that can change on a day-to-day basis. It can even change in the same day, uh, depending upon how I go, go around. But uh, in yeah. the little over three years, I've been embracing having that feminine side uh, as well as my masculine side that I was assigned male at birth. Uh, I've often had pink in my hair uh, as a way to outwardly express those feminine parts of me, regardless of how the rest of the body is dressed. Yeah, beautiful. And so, yeah, I love just starting off um, each episode with a little bit of storytelling and a bit of a share from uh, the guests that join me. So, yeah, do you have a story of some kind of beautiful uh, erotic awakening experience or liberatory experience or something that you'd love to share with us? Sure. Uh, I will go and share my first DS relationship and how that started over 17 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, way back in 2004, when I was first going to college, and uh, I had just started delving into dating, sex, and attraction, and discovering what it was that I wanted and I needed uh, for myself. And uh, through the first book that I educated myself with, called Double Your Dating by David D'Angelo, I picked up some dating skills. Uh, and as well as the idea that there were women out there that I could go and approach and say, hey, I want to date you. I would like to be sexual with you. And I don't want to be exclusive. And that there were women out there that would actually be generally okay with that. Mind blowing to the time for someone who had been born and raised out in Minnesota and only knew uh, the you know, heterosexual monogamy as the only kind of option that was presented. And with that, I started doing some dating on Craigslist. If those of you actually remember doing the Craigslist personal ads. And I came across this personal ad that said, Prometheus was bound for all of eternity. The rest of the ad said, this girl only wants to be tied up for a single hour. And had a picture of Prometheus being uh, when he is tied to the rock. Uh, and uh, which was his punishment in the Greek mythology story for him actually bringing fire to humanity. So I wrote her back, uh, letting her know that I I uh, knew the actual reference uh, to the story. And, uh, I wrote her back saying that how I would bind her for her sins against humanity, and I would stoke the fires within her. And by the end of the hour, she'd be begging for release, but not from her restraint. <laughs> and that was uh well enough for me to actually um garner a first date with her and uh on this first date we went and, and met for coffee and uh she and i were both students uh going to college at chico state and she was fine on going to class after going meeting with me so you know no pressure just a casual meet uh we kind of clicked during the actual um during the actual talk in the cafe went for a walk uh sat down next to a stream that was um uh, along the side of the the path that was running by sat down and started some more conversations and within that I tried to be the the stereotypical nice guy that was like being sweet and tentative and, you know, kind of like, is this, a, this okay? And just trying out little bits here and there, not wanting to go and scare her off. 
And at one point she looked at me and said, you know, this really isn't working for me. I sat there for a moment, went, okay, what would work for you? And she looked me straight in the face and said, what I really want is a guy who's willing to go and grab me by the throat, shove his tongue in my mouth, and go and furiously finger me. I went, all right. And I did exactly that right there, <laughs> which was like the boldest thing that I'd ever done um, in public to that point. She absolutely loved it. And instead of going to her class, she invited me back to her place. And uh, in inviting me back to her place, I got to experience my, my very first um, BDSM scene with me as a dominant or her being the submissive. And she handed me uh, uh, as an implement to go and use this old wooden paddle that already had a crack in it and invited me to start smacking her across the ass. And throughout that scene, I had a, a great time of being able to go and top her and being able to, to smack her ass. And I literally finished the, the job on that paddle, breaking it across her ass, breaking <laughs> off the paddle completely, which she and I both loved and adored. <laughs> and at the end of uh, that date and that play date uh, that we had had, she printed me out a little trifle pamphlet, which on that trifle pamphlet was um, what her likes were, what her curiosities were, and what her hard limits were. And she had told me that uh, she had created that trifle pamphlet uh, out of the order of a former dominant of hers, which was one of the hardest things that she said she ever do, did, and also one of the most rewarding things uh, that she'd ever done as well. And uh, with that, one of the things that I quickly learned in the whole BDSM realm is that before any play happens, there's supposed to be this negotiation that happens where you have an explicit conversation of, well, these are, these are my turn-ons. This is what I'm curious about. And here are my hard limits, basically the things that'll piss me off. So we're not even going to do those things. And I thought, how much simpler would dating life be in general? If we could have an open and honest conversation right near the beginning uh, about those kind of things. And I absolutely loved it. And uh, from that first meet, she became my first submissive, uh, which that only lasted about a month. And because uh, she was looking for a more experienced kind of guy uh, and that uh, she literally found a professor and she wanted to have that um, student professor kind of DS dynamic played out with an actual professor. She's like, <laughs> she's like, she had to go and find that. And you know, that was awesome. And uh, I got to become connected to the, the Chico BDSM community that was forming there. Hmm, beautiful. Yeah, so I love how that's just such a beautiful example of, yeah, like, communication check-ins kind of like ongoing um consent even from the get-go of just like this isn't working for me and a lot of people at that point would just go avoid and be like uh I need to go to class now and uh, you know like oh yeah this would be nice but bye um but how this person had like yeah such confidence to then be like this isn't working and you know for you to check in like what would 
work for you. And, you know, that then it ended up getting really hot and becoming a whole scene because of that communication. When I think a lot of people that aren't confident with communication or, um, are very rejection sensitive. Like I know myself, if I felt someone was going like that, even after years of practice, sometimes I can get a little bit like, Oh, they're not feeling me time to go avoid it and, and disappear. Um, but just the power of that asking and being like, Hey, I'm willing to try something different. I'm willing to be open-minded and see what you want. And if we can meet on that level. It's one skill set to be able to articulate what it is that you want and another to be able to say, Hey, this isn't working for me. Can we do something different? So mm-hmm. I, I both admire her for having the presence and the boldness uh, of being like, Hey, this isn't working actually speaking up to that because uh a lot of cultural indoctrination says, you know, especially for the feminine to just put up with it and, you know, let the guy do whatever, you know, just kind of go and submit. And it's like, no, if you're just kind of tolerating it and you're not really liking it, say something, speak up, please. Because, mm. you know, I, I in part, I get off on my partner actually enjoying what I'm going doing with them and you know their enjoyment and their eroticism uh is is an important part to me and yeah there's yeah yeah Yeah, I found um you know for for me I was at first more on the submissive side when I first was getting into BDSM and I was really bad at communicating and really bad at asking for what I wanted and I was really doing that just kind of going along with things and um you know I didn't want to like demasculate or lose the confidence of someone uh you know and didn't want to like say what I wanted because I thought that it would be negative somehow or it would like make things awkward or whatever and it was mostly from then going to workshops and practicing switching and actually exploring my dominant side that I saw how annoying it is when the person doesn't say what they want and expects you to read their mind and how much pressure that puts on you and how much anxiety and you're trying to like give this person an amazing experience, but they're not helping you at all. And really seeing like, oh, wow, that's such a disservice to be quiet and to just go along. Um, And that was a really powerful transmission for me, just seeing the other side of it um, and really yeah, recognizing just how frustrating um, that kind of silence and complacency can be, even if the person's in the submissive role and, you know, people would think of oh, submissive means just follow along and do whatever, but it's, it's an active role um, in submission and then it requires some guidance and some sharing from that side for it to be a really empowered relationship. Yeah, and it's something that uh, a lot of people may not realize is that while there are the inherently different power dynamics, which is why it's called a power exchange, is mm. that before the play happens, we literally come together as equals and saying, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to go and experience. And we consciously decide, I'm going to, you know, give you this power and let you have this power over me. It's not because society says that we should go and do that or because I was taught as a child that that's what I'm supposed to do. This is something I'm consciously choosing to do and agreeing to you as an equal that I want to go and take this role in this dynamic for a period of time with you. And that uh, for those who are in the, the submissive role, they are still very much still in a power position even through that submission, because things like safe words are set up where with a single word, everything comes to a grinding halt and stops immediately. 
And both submissive and dominant can go and use a safe word that's more stereotypically commonant that a a submissive will be, would be the one to to call the safe word. Mm. So it is still definitely coming together as as equals and actually choosing to go into these roles. And being yeah. a switch myself, I have experience, um, even though I'm mostly on the dominant side, I do know and have experiences what it's like over on the submissive side as well. Like the first couple of play parties that I, I publicly went to uh, after I got involved uh, with this woman and uh, who was my first submissive, I started to go to some uh, some play parties and decided that I wanted to go and also experience what it was like on the submissive side of things. Very first play party I went to, I, I found a, a femdom who was willing to go and top me and, and like have me give me kind of a taster of different experiences. She brought me up over to a, a St. Andrew's cross, went and put my arms up and did a number of things um, to me and then just kind of released me and walked away mm. and there's a part of me that's like something feels incomplete don't know what it is couldn't go and put my finger on it at the time and it wasn't until my second play party that i went to where i found uh this woman who had these blue dyed rabbit floggers and it was a pair of floggers and she did this Florentine flogging. Uh, Florentine is like a particular pattern going back and forth using um, two floggers simultaneously. Uh, she used them both on my back and my front. And she also, towards the end of that, literally pounded on my chest right along the heart chakra, both on the front and the back. And at the end of the scene, she took me by the hand, she led me over to a bed, and she actually had me go and curl up and started to go and caress me. And uh, during, during that caressing, during what I learned was called aftercare, which was that thing that I was missing from mm -hmm. that first scene. It, it was like, it was then I actually started to go in what's known as fly and went into subspace as well, mm -hmm. all, all the endorphins going through my body. And it was like a wonderful bliss out experience. And it, it was a very good introduction to me uh, to have those visceral differences between just being played with and walked away and not having any aftercare versus having that aftercare and discovering this is something that I actually really wanted needed for it to be a good scene for me and why mm. it also impressed upon me that it's important for me on the dominant side to also give a submissive aftercare as well because I know what of a difference that it made for me and also on the dominant side the dominants can have uh, an experience too and, and the dominant need to go through the through having aftercare and being able to go and kind of reground also yeah absolutely yeah, and this is why I think it's so important. People are really into kink and uh, really wanting to, you know, give really good experiences that, you know, just trying the other side, it doesn't mean that you have to, um, you know, collapse your whole identity if you, you know, consider yourself more of a dominant, but just, yeah, having that visceral experience and felt sense of what it's like to be on the other side can totally change the, the way that you show up as a dominant. And, you know, like for me, uh, like my submission changed so much once I explored being a dominant, um, even though that's not my natural or preferred state a lot of the time, but 
you know, I learned so much and it's the same in the other direction, but I find some people when they first get into the scene, they can um, heavily identify with like a particular side of the dynamic and get very rigid in that. And, um, you know, really be adverse to exploring any of the other elements, uh, which, you know, for some people, I guess can work and, you know, it all can be fine. But um, a lot of people that I know that are masters of this and really can give the best experiences have at least like once or twice, like, just explored like, okay, what is it like on the other side? What does it feel like? Same, you know, when you get a new flogger, you need to test it out on yourself a little bit to feel how hard the hit is uh, so that you know what you're doing to someone and you have that experience. So what do you um, feel around that or what's been your experience with that? Yeah, with, with that, uh, one of the philosophies that I was uh, taught early on in the BDSM realm was like some of the best dominants started out as submissives, which mm. uh, the, the whole BDSM realm grew out of the gay leather culture scene. And it, there are still remnants of, of that um, e even to this day, which uh, some people in, in some areas refer to as part of the, the old guard, where e in that old gay leather scene, you had to start out as a submissive and eventually be trained in and earned the right, the the right and privilege to actually be a dominant and to go and top someone else. Mm -hmm. um, nowadays, in most places, you can start out being a dominant, never having gone on to the um, submissive side or know what it's like to go on the bottom, and you know that affords certain freedoms in itself. It, it gives less of a hierarchical a hierarchical kind of structure to it. And uh, as you're mentioning, uh, it, it is still of a common practice to, uh, to uh, as a best practice to be like, know what it is like for having a kind of toy being used on you before you use it on a submissive. So you understand what does a strike by that actually feel like? What does it feel on your own body? So you can have an idea of what it is that you're actually doing and uh what your submissive or your bottom may actually be receiving uh, yeah. it, i believe that it, that is a good practice in general yeah, I feel like it creates this deep empathy because, you know, for me now, when I'm flogging someone after being flogged so many times, like I can you know, really like feel as if I'm receiving the flogging at the same time as giving it because I'm so familiar with that sensation. And, it, um, you know, in, in Tantra, it's often about like kind of breaking down that separation of like you as this person and me and, you know, like the flogger and the receiver and it kind of like blending into one. Um, and yeah, even if people don't want to take it to like that deep level of kind of merging <laughs> through the kink scene, like still even just um, this general sense of empathy and this general understanding of what that person's going through can help you know, like, okay, like usually after this much, it's good to have a pause and have a breathe. And like, I know it felt nice getting ice over the, the warm spanking area before. So now I'm going to do that to someone. And, um, you know, definitely in like Shibari and stuff, I notice people that have been tied a lot that then go into topping. Um, you know, they know all these little tricks of like what it feels like for that toe to be bent back or that little twist and how, you know, like just watching it on the outside, it might not really seem like much that the, the person's doing, but someone that's received it knows what that feels like. So, to know how to do it to someone else and it goes beyond just the physical as you're talking about mm -hmm. it goes very much into the mental and to the energetics 
And uh, I have been in relationships with multiple um, literal empathic um, people. Uh, so, you know, what I feel, they feel. And, and for for empaths, you know, they do go and literally pick up on what what are the sensations and what is actually going on in the body, which takes things to a whole different level, uh, which goes on just being empathetic. Um, yeah. Uh, also with that um in the mentality of a lot of these acts may seem fairly um simple and maybe even benign though with the mentality that comes uh can come into like a, a dominant submissive type relationship like a, even in a service submissive uh it, it can seem like totally mundane kind of thing like um the, the submissive bringing their dominant uh some food or water which it, it's actually a very intimate um type of act that can come with a lot of devotion and um and connection that mm-hmm. is explicitly into it because you have built that relationship on a deeper level that that goes into the heart and soul. Yeah, beautiful. And and that's the thing, like a a lot of what people are aiming for in going into submission or facilitating submission for people is this deep state of um, surrender and this devotional experience. And, And that's like this really core thing that a lot of people deeply crave and what a lot of people are trying to accomplish and um, to be able to, you know, fully let go and surrender and trust someone and to um, be trusted and to be able to guide someone and um, to be able to like offer them this beautiful experience. And I feel like, you know, a, a lot of that does come down to creating safety, which comes through, yeah, the consent and communication. It's not just about the actual whipping or not just about um, bossing someone around, but it's like, how do you create that deep sense of um, trust and security and set those foundations? Um, I like in your story how that um, submissive had like the, the printout, because this is something I include in a lot of my kink courses. Um, cause also for a lot of people that they don't really know what they like yet. And they don't know what to say when someone's like, what are your hard limits and soft limits and boundaries? And they're like, I don't really know what I like or what I don't like. Um, that, you know, these kind of things of like, this is on the cards, like, this is a yes, this is a maybe these are all no's. Um, you know, and once you've really hashed that out, then you can go into the state where you can be like, yeah, you can do whatever you want to me, but I know that whatever you do to me is within those boundaries that certain actions aren't going to be there certain actions you know that I really love and that I'm down for um and that can like help you get out of your head because when I've I know when I've been in kink scenes when I before I learned communication and when we didn't have those conversations you know you'd be a little on edge like what are they going to do now and oh my god I'm blindfolded and tied and this is kind of kinky and exciting but like what if they do something I don't like and um I wasn't able to fully surrender and trust and feel safe um to open up and to really have that deep subspace experience because there was like this fear there so yeah um so basically what are your thoughts on that and also um yeah i know that you're running the enlightened consent foundation and maybe that has to do with this and you want to share a little bit about that too sure uh so with that consent is one of the paramount things and within the bdsm realm it is kind of the the delineating mark between what could be construed as as flat out abuse versus what is actual consensual fun play 
is that we do get to go and come together. We do get to meet as equals and say, this is what we're actually choosing to consciously do. These are the dynamics and the roles. Here's the things that are allowable. Here's the things that are not allowable. And uh, yeah, there can still be, you know, uh, boundaries that are crossed. Sometimes you come across boundaries that you don't even know are boundaries until you happen to go and come across them, which mm. is where education, like what do you do when you come across one of those landmines, uh, comes comes in really important. And it's being able to actually take a step back and being able to remain kind of more, if you're not the triggered one, being able to like kind of calm back, calm down, and being like okay, what's going on? What is it you need? Usually in a triggered state, you're going to call red, which means everything stops. Immediately go into aftercare, no more play at that point. And being like, what does the triggered person actually need to come back down to grounded reality? (sighs) Uh, One of the things that I go and teach also within um, enlightened consent is the idea that as long as you and the people that are directly involved are consenting to what's going on and you're honoring your existing relationship agreements because you may have multiple relationships that are going on that it does not matter what anyone else outside of that thinks or feels about what you're choosing to consent to go and do together because what you're choosing to do is what is ideally going to you know work uh for you and what it is that you actually want and what they want and it it doesn't matter if uncle joey would you know think it's horrible or if you uh if it's like the church would never approve of this it doesn't matter this is about pleasure this is about fun this is about enjoyment which is part of the reason why we incarnated in these physical forms in the first place was to actually enjoy life and enjoy our bodies and do the things that felt right and good to us in healthy and consensual ways. And part of what I'm doing with the Enlightened Consent Foundation is helping to bring forward the conversation of here are some of the other ways that we can actually do that and make those conversations uh, more common. Uh, The Enlightened Consent Foundation uh, was founded in January of uh, 2021. And with that, uh, our, we're out to cause a global paradigm shift in how humanity relates to sexuality and sexual expression. And uh, I explicitly named uh, our mission statement to be uh, providing transformative experiences and supportive resources to those who identify as kinky, polyamorous, and LGBTQ+, so they get to experience being completely seen, honored, and loved. Mm. And I did that in part because, hi, I'm in the middle of that Venn diagram of all three of us. And I spent a large part of my life feeling unlovable, that I was too much, that um, I wasn't worthy. And I want people to know that they're not broken, they're not wrong for what turns them on, what gets them off. They're lovable and acceptable, and they're worthy just because they exist. Mm, beautiful. Oh, I love that. Hopefully, some people listening will also even just hearing that mission statement feel seen and feel more lovable just as it is. 
Um, do you have any little quick tip or something to finish off with for our listeners who are maybe curious about kink or wanting to learn more about consent or um, feel a little bit more empowered in that realm? Sure. So first thing I'll do for those of you who may have struggled with worthiness, and uh, mm-hmm. I am an ordained minister with the Church of All Worlds, which is the oldest neo-pagan church uh, in the United States. And with that, by the power investing me by no one in particular, I hereby now and declare you forevermore worthy, just Yay! as you are. <laughs> and there's nothing that you have to do to earn that worthiness. There's mm. nothing that you can do to lose that worthiness because mm. you are worthy by the fact that you exist and mm. you matter to the universe mm. just because you exist. Yes. Love that. Thank you. So uh, I do have a resource that I am happy to go and share uh, for mm-hmm. you who's listening to the podcast, and that is a getting to know your sexual desires, uh, which is a worksheet that will help you go and figure out what you want here and now, uh, regardless of if you're in a relationship or not, being able to have that clarity of like, what is that you're actually interested in? What are you needing at this point? And if it's the same as what you have, great. If it's completely different than what you have right now or what you've experienced in the past, great. You know, one of the things that I have come across is that if you are not clear on what it is that you're actually looking for and desiring, it can be literally staring at you right in the face and you'd be like, I'm looking for this. Where is it? It's like, <laughs> I don't know how to recognize it. Yeah. And, um, and a perfect story that I have for that is that within, um, I said for years that I wanted to be a part of a sex positive, kink positive, polyamorous positive, pagan positive household. And I wanted to be a part of, of that kind of living structure. And then I, I met this woman, uh, her name was Kat. And from like the first day that she met me, she was like, I was living in the San Francisco Bay Area at the time. And she was like, will you come up to to where I am in Washington? Like, will you come to my household, please? And it's like, I I gave excuse after excuse of like, not good timing. Why couldn't? Why not? And it took me a year and a half of her continually asking. And and I was being in a relationship with one another and being long distance separated by like two states. It took me a year and a half and me going through some personal growth work to be like, oh, this exact thing that I've been asking for, it's been literally being offered to me on a silver platter. All I've had to do was say yes to it for a year and a half. <laughs> and as soon as I realized that, I, I, I called up to Cat's uh, husband because they're in an open marriage and, uh, and I was in a polyamorous relationship with her. And when he answered, when he answered the phone, I said, what would it take for me to actually move up there and move in with you guys in that household? His first response was, I've been waiting for this phone call. I've been figuring it was a matter of when, not a matter of if you'd be asking about actually moving in. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. 
Yeah, I love that. I, it's why when I run um, like temple nights and play parties, it's uh, I try to get people to share like what's something that you want to receive and what's something that you want to give. And some people get really stuck on that question because they haven't thought about what they actually want or what they actually like. But as soon as they articulate it, then it's out there and it can happen. And then someone else has heard like, oh, you're looking for a spanking. I'd love to give you a spanking. And then presto manifesto, their desires are met. But if they don't know what they want, they're like, um, I'd, I'd just like something, I, I don't know. Then people are like, well, I don't know if I can give you that. <laughs> like that that's, a, that's a bit of pressure. So yeah, getting uh, desire clarity is such a core thing for people getting the juicy erotic experiences and love that they want. So yeah, I'll put the link to that in the uh, comments of this podcast. So anyone listening that wants to dive into it, then uh, yeah, they have a little resource. And if you want to check out more of Eco's work, then there'll be some links and stuff as well. Uh, check out the Enlightened Consent Foundation and yeah. Any final words? Right. Uh, sure. So uh, with that, I believe the, the bit.ly link for that worksheet will be bit.ly forward slash my sex desires. And that'll be mm -hmm. a link. If you want to know more about the the one on one coaching that I do and some of the other projects that I'm up to, uh, that would be enlightenedconsent.net. Uh, if you want to learn more about my nonprofit and what my nonprofit is up to, that is enlightenedconsent.org. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Well, thank you very much for your time and for sharing your stories and sharing your wisdom. Hopefully this inspires um, some people in the possibilities and maybe getting them a bit more curious about uh, kink and how they can, you know, improve their consent skills to have more amazing erotic encounters and deeper relationships and all that good stuff and more self-acceptance and love, of course, because that's what we all need. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. There is no one right way to go and express your love. Mm -hmm. And there is what is actually right for you. And you get to be the final determinant of what is right and what is okay for you and what is not. And it's mm. important to, and okay to actually have boundaries. And, and I'll, I'll share one other little um, quick story uh, from a, a femdom friend of mine, uh, who uh, when she comes across a submissive who says that they don't have any boundaries, they don't have any limits, and is usually a male submissive. Uh, her favorite comeback to that is really, so you wouldn't care if I were to go and take your dick and nail it to my coffee table. And the guy would reel back and say, you would actually do that? <laughs> She'd say, no, of course not. I care about my coffee table. <laughs> have limits, have boundaries. And yeah. if you've only done stuff online, nothing wrong with that. You know, and there's a large difference between what you think you can handle and what you think you you identify as in just the online spaces versus when you know flesh meets toy in real life and getting to actually see what that actual feels like and makes a difference mm. you know start off yeah. slow start off uh, slower and gentler and easier than what you think you might want to because a good mark of an excellent first scene 
is both the dominant and submissive walking away, wanting to come back and do more with each other. Mm, beautiful. All right. So with that, we'll round up this episode. Thanks very much for chatting to us. And yeah, until next time. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it and found it inspiring. You can connect with me on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and through my website, sensualartistry.com and sensualarts.school, where you can get some freebies and sign up to my mailing list to stay in touch. Hope to see you again soon.